Hello and welcome to another episode of GDPR Now, a podcast dedicated to all things related to data privacy and data security. It's brought to you by Data Protection for Business and this is DPO. Your host today is me, Karen Heaton, owner of Data Protection for Business, still recording from my home office in southwest London. So today in our episode, we are revisiting and updating you, our listeners, on the latest developments and the invalidation of the EU-US Privacy Shield and where we are in that process and what is going to happen next. So across the airways, even though he's living around the corner, I'm delighted to have back Mark Sherwood-Edwards, a fellow GDPR Now host, leading lawyer in technology and fintech and founder of Clearview Legal. Mark is here to help us understand where we are currently regarding solutions to data transfers to the US. So, Mark, welcome back. Hi, Karen. Glad to be here. (laughs) Thank you for coming on the show again. So let's do a quick recap then, Mark. SHREMS 2, often referred to. Where are we um, on this? And a quick reminder of why we got here, please. Okay, so SHREMS 2 happened uh, July last year. Max SHREMS, privacy fighter extraordinaire, had brought his action ended up in the European Court of Justice. Uh, The result was that the European Court of Justice struck down the privacy shield uh, because the US, the practice of the US intelligence agencies were not compliant with effectively with the rule of law or with the GDPR, did not provide equivalent, meant that the US regime did not provide equivalent protection to the GDPR. At the same time, it said the SECs were fine, provided that uh, SECs in combination with the the legal regime of the destination country uh, together provided equivalent protection as GDPR. Now, given that the the Court of Justice had just said that in the US, the intelligence agencies undermined the fundamental human rights of data subjects, clearly additional safeguards would be required in those circumstances. So everyone was then suddenly scurrying around trying to work out what additional safeguards would be required. Correct. And I think in in our podcast last July, I think the term you used was when I asked you the question, well, what are businesses supposed to do now? I think your your very sage advice was, well, hide in the herd. So we've all been hiding, uh, protecting ourselves in, in, in the herd. And obviously today we've got some updates on on how things are progressing. Yes, and what is interesting is, in theory, when the SECs don't work, then the the transfer should be stopped by the uh, controller, or they or they notify the their local supervisory authority that they're continuing, even though they're not working, and the supervisory authorities are entitled to step in and stop the transfers. As far as I can make out, very little stopping of transfers has happened. So actually, either everybody thinks they're now suddenly compliant, which is a bit implausible, or everybody's just carrying on as if nothing had happened because no one knows quite what to do. You can't just stop using Salesforce or Google or AWS or Azure. So that's what's happening. So so when you refer to the SCCs there, were those the... Existing versions of the, yeah, the, yeah, the existing versions, and we'll be talking later of the new proposed versions that the Euro Commission, European Commission has just promote, proposed. They're presently in draft. Consultation has happened and closed, and they should be appearing in their final form 
sometime early this year, they said. No no date, but early 2021, I, I think it was. So yeah, so so here we have, you know, a massive uh, seismic shift last year, the, the invalidation of the, the lawfulness of the transfers of data to the US. Most companies currently using the standard contractual clauses as are currently approved, whether they've been complying with the all the aspects of those, I think it's fair to say perhaps not. Um, and so now here we are, fast forward, we've got a, a European Data Protection Board 40-page document on some recommended safeguards that businesses could put in place to regain the lawful transfer status for their data transfers to the US. Is that, does that That's correct? right. And it's worth just reminding everyone that although the Privacy Shield has been struck down for uh, the European Union, it's still in place for the UK, UK having dropped out of the European Union before the Schrems 2 decision. It's also worth bearing in mind is these SECs have been around for a while, the old form. The general practice was you just sign them, uh, both parties to sign and just get on with it. They have rights that they're designed to extend the protection of the GDPR, the European Data Protection, than was mm-hmm. uh, into the data importer for the benefit of the data subjects. But I've never heard of anybody, any data subject, using the using the the uh, the benefits, using the rights they have under the SEC. So from the data subjects point of view, they've always struck me as a fairly theoretical tool. Right. Okay. But obviously they're, they're, you know, organizations need to have them in contracts. So that you need to have them. Protect themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Now I I understood that the UK, the transition agreement was effectively, which is now effectively meant the UK were still following uh, GDPR until the 31st of December. So, However, now we're in a situation where the UK has formally left. Well, the, we've now got the end of the transition agreement. So, you know, we've now got our new deal with the EU. However, for the data protection regulations, we're back in a holding pattern because the EU, European Commission has still to make an adequacy decision on the UK and their data protection standards. Um, so we're expecting end of April earliest perhaps pushed out to the end of June for that decision to be made. Now, my understanding of uh, the terms of this holding pattern, this extension, is that the ICO cannot make any adequacy decisions on its own about any other countries until we find out whether we are adequate under the European Commission uh, decision or not. Right, so... Let's have a look or certainly talk about the uh, recommended safeguards. Okay, so the first thing to to ask ourselves is, is this fixable? Because if you remember what the ECJ said is this was a fundamental breach of people's human rights. And can you, and we'll come to what the EDPB is proposing, but what's actually proposing is a kind of series of locks, effectively. You can lock out the government, lock out the intelligence uh, bodies, and I, I think the biggest, uh, the best example is this. Um, and we're talking about the rule of law, which is you know the basic concept behind most Western democracies. So imagine two countries, one where normal rule of law, the police can can't come into your home mm-hmm. except um, if they've got a warrant, which is signed off by a judge and subject to all the usual protections. 
Okay, that's that's the normal rule. Police can't come into your home. The other one is police can come into your home, but you've got really good locks and you've got bars and grills on your windows and your doors. <laughs> not, not for the villains, no, but for the police. Yeah, yeah but for the police. Right. So is that, does that second one, is that equivalent protection to rule of law? Now, in my view, it probably isn't, but that's the rule route we're going down because no one knows what else to do. The second thing is then there's a lot of discussion about risk assessment, right? How risky is it? How likely is it the CIA will, you know, break your encryption and read, read what's in there? Now, that is kind of an odd discussion to be having in relation to a fundamental human right. If, if I'm a data subject and the CIA hacks my data, then, uh, and I go to the data controller who got the, who started off with my data, and they, and they tell me they carried out a very good risk assessment, I kind of think, well, actually, I don't find that very satisfying. You haven't really protected my human rights. But, you know, those are the kind of... Things that they're trying to do. Yeah, those are very high-level points. Yeah, very difficult problem to solve. I think we touched on that in the last, in our podcast in July, which was how on earth can businesses make an assessment of whether you know, a local law enforcement agency and, you know, and in the US in particular, could go in and ask them for their data. I mean, it's almost an impossible task. Yeah, absolutely. So what the the uh, EDPB in its kind of um, recommended approach for putting in the, the SHREM safe, safeguard says, it's we carry out six steps, right? That's what it's paper, 40 pages long, six steps. First, you map your data. Then you decide what transfer mechanism you're going to use. Is it SECs? Is it BCRs? Is it something else? Then you make an assessment of the legal regime in a third country, right? This is the one that's really problematic and for everybody. And in the end, most people are just going to try and buy one from somewhere. Presumably, you know, the big... Um, Privacy companies. companies. Law firms, what's say here it is. And you can either get it for free or you get or you whatever... Uh, and particularly, you know, I mean, there are not that many lawyers who know that much about uh, intelligence agency law. It's a pretty specialist subject. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, and the strange thing is that the the, the new SECs expect that to be do- your assessment to be documented in the in the the new SEC contract, which is so it's all a bit burden. It's a it's a big burden. It would be a burden if it was practical. It's, in my view, theoretical and inoperable unless you buy it from someone else. Um, then, having done that, you identify the gaps in the legal regime of the destination country. The, the, and having identified the gaps, you decide on what supplementary measures are required or what are also called additional safeguards. Um, then you take any formal practical steps you need. That's step number five. And then, and then six, you keep it all under review and update and improve required over time. Yeah, so it's, pre- it's pretty standard, you know, gap analysis, define the standards or the measures you need to use, put them in place, implement them, execute them, and then regularly review them. So I guess get- so the process is not unusual. <laughs> However... <laughs> The, the measures themselves, then, how, how have they um, described those? How have they approached? Well, they break they break them down into three three areas. One is kind of technical measures, mm-hmm. encryption, synchronization, that kind of thing. 
The next one is contractual measures. And then the third one is kind of organizational measures, which you can either apply to yourself or you, if you're the exporter or you impose on the importer. Um, so three technical measures, contractual protection and, and kind of organizational measures. And of the three, in my view, the, the, the technical ones, the is it encrypted, is it anonymized, is the most interesting. And what they've actually done, which I think is quite helpful, I think it's they've gone through six or seven use cases yes. and they kind of analyze, uh, do they work, don't they work, what you have to do to make them work. Yeah. So for example, use case number one is fairly easy. Uh, you're going to store the data in a third country, a non-GDPR country, uh, and what you have to do is make sure it's encrypted. Okay, and roughly speaking, that's stick in the box. A couple of caveats. Yeah. Uh, you don't share the encryption keys with anyone else, obviously. Yeah, and they're held, maybe held outside that third country. Exactly. They're held here. Yeah. Uh, you make sure that your encryption keys are robust to stand up against uh, people trying to break it, um, uh, which kind of means the, if it's going to America, the NSA, the CIA, those things. But they do have a lot of skilled people who can crack encryption codes. And they've got a huge amount, you know, you've got of resources. Yeah, cray quantum computers, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, and this bit I think is actually makes me laugh because this phrase reoccurs at least two or three times in the EDPP paper. All this has to be flawlessly implemented. <laughs> okay. Now, anyone who's worked in business knows. <laughs> Doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> with a, his background in implementation of projects uh, yeah flawlessly is not a word that often comes to to mind to describe them this is sometimes when you kind of start worrying about the the, the kind of there's a gap there's a kind of reality gap between yeah. some of the kind of data protection thinking happening by the regulators and the real world that everyone else lives in yeah and and but what's also interesting about that phrase or maybe a bit scary is how can it be, you know, used in a case against a, an organisation or a company? You know, who determines what flawlessly implemented is? I mean, okay, I mean, obviously a high standard, but, you know, it's one person's high standard is another person's, you know, medium standard. Well, it, that is a really interesting point because in the GDPR, it's very clear in talking about data security uh, article I can't remember if it's 32 or 37, that one, the security one. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, appropriate data protection. Yeah. And appropriate is, you know, related to, so information about my coffee drinking habits, oh, yeah. it, you know, is, it requires a lot less protection than banking details. And medical right. Appropriate and relevant. Yeah. yeah. So that seems to have got lost a bit. Um. Then they go, th- I'm not, we, won't, we won't go through all of them. Then there's another one about pseudonymized data, yeah. okay, which is so the transmission should be encrypted um, because there's no need, and, but you give the keys to people at the other end. The idea is to start the NSA hacking uh, the data as it goes in, and that was called out in TREMS, that actually the NSA, the US NSA, uh, hacks the data as it goes in or as is entitled to hack the data as it goes mm-hmm. in it's under trump right. maybe different under biden amusingly there was a paper which came out from the europe from the u.s department of justice um the department of commerce and one of the intelligence agencies 
just after Schrems saying, actually, the ECJ got it all wrong. And in relation to this kind of stuff said, uh, we're not sure why you're worried. didn't actually say this, but I paraphrase. I'm not mm-hmm. sure why you're worrying about hacking it as it goes into the US, because we can hack it anywhere in the world anyway. <laughs> it's kind of what it's <laughs> which I thought was a fair, fair enough point. Um, so you've got pseudonymized data where mm-hmm. you, you, the exporter in Europe, are holding on to the keys. And so the processor um, in the US is not processing the data in the, in the clear, but pseudonymized data. Yeah. Well, there's certain assumptions there. One is that works in terms of, you know, the computing can make it work like that. Yeah. And and then I think the I think the um, the EDPP makes a really good point is actually you know and tests have shown it can be relatively easy to reverse engineer uh, mass data, pseudonymized data mm-hmm. back to the real person. If you've got the key, yeah, yeah, particularly the data is depending on the data. Yeah, the t- the data yeah. is time stamped coming from a particular location. Right. You know, if I have coffee in the same place at ten o'clock every morning. You know, you can start reversing back out all that data. Yeah. So, Postcode data, location data, all those sorts of things narrow down yeah. to individuals. So, in in those in those circumstances, then actually, that's not a really effective use of. Then you're not. Then you haven't generated uh, uh, something which is essentially equivalent to GDPR. So, at that point, you're in breach. Yeah. Back to, back to square one. Yeah, back to square one. Um, and then the other one, I think there's, we'll talk, there's seven use cases, mm-hmm. talking, talking about use case number six. Um, and what happens when you transfer to a cloud provider, or let's assume it's in the States, because that's the kind of example everyone's having, but to process the data, and it is personal data, they have to process it in the clear. And at that and that you must have you'd have thought that applies actually to most stuff and the edpp is very clear it, it, at that point it says it doesn't see how the exporting in those circumstances can fall within the gdpr so when you're saying um it has to be processed in the clear you're saying it has to be processed without any encryption or pseudonymization in it absolutely because it, depending on why it's being exported it may not work for it to be um, transformed in any way. Yeah, and think about and think about all the um, a good example at least is is think about the way a credit card stuff works. Yeah, you know, so credit cards quite complicated. You okay? I'll buy a cup of tea for a change, <laughs> and they swipe your card, and it goes to kind of some merchant, and it's you know it may be pro- it will be processed in it may be go to U.S. processor. A lot of U.S. processors processing European data. Visa uh, and Mastercard are, are getting copies of it. It's all flying around. Um, I don't. I don't see without re-engineering uh, the whole of that credit card infrastructure. Uh, unless you re-engineer that whole credit card infrastructure, and every transaction has to be masked, so you can't link it back to me. I don't see how that how that possibly works. Yeah, that's. That's interesting because even, you know, I've seen some of these um, payment providers, I've seen obviously the data they take and I've read their policies and stuff. You know, they, they do apply certain, you know, data protection techniques, you know, minimization, encryption and data deletion and stuff. 
but they do still have to, at some point, get back to someone's bank account and take the, you know, and make sure the money is going to come out of their account. Yeah. So it's going to happen. Now, what, I don't know, what might be interesting is I've been doing some reading on the open banking platform. And it's a, it provides an opportunity for a bit of a, a disruptive element to those big uh, payment processors where digital companies and tech companies can go and become part of that payment uh, supply chain or that payment process where they're going straight to an open banking platform and um, taking, you know, interacting through that platform to take the month to make the payment through people's accounts. So whether that just distributes the problem or actually helps solve the basic problem, um, I'm not an expert, so I wouldn't know, you know, what other scenarios on that. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to watch how that space develops. I mean, obviously there's standards and et cetera in place, but, you know, it's more companies processing that type of information. Yeah, agreed. So, okay, so those are the technical measures and the helpful case studies, which, you know, can highlight to companies, you know, where when these measures work and when they don't. So that's a useful piece of information for people who are having to tackle this problem in real life. And then there's a whole section on additional contractual measures. So these are different clauses and things you can... Yes, exactly. And most of which, I'm just kind of taking a look look at them now, are kind of pretty feeble. Um, So transparency obligations, for example. Yeah, transparency obligations, so... Um, the importer's got to disclose, again, disclose the laws of the third country, any assessments and all that kind of stuff. Um, they've got to disclose any, you know, if they can, any uh, requirements from the, any requests from local intelligence agencies, if they're allowed to do so. It's it's all a bit kind of long-winded and and a bur- again, a burden on yeah. processors or importers, depending on their status, of course. Um, and I have to say my experience with, certainly with some tech companies and trying to wade through whether they think they're a controller or a processor by looking at their privacy policies in terms of service. I mean, there's, yeah, I, I can't see this happening very easily in the short term. <laughs> Yeah, they've got oh, kind of odd clauses. I don't know what it's got to do with SHREMS. The, ex- the exporter could also add clauses whereby the importer certifies that, one, it has not purposefully created backdoors or similar programming that could be used to access a system and or personal data. And you get the f- feeling that they've kind of, there's a group of, you know, 15 people in the room saying, God, what can we say? We, we've got nothing really meaningful here. We've got no really good fix. What we can, what can we scramble together? And if we've got enough bits and pieces and stick them all together, that will solve the problem. But, but anyway, with, with that statement, what happens if you don't have it in a contract? Does that mean you have allowed a backdoor into your systems? You know, it's almost like if you don't have it in your contract, can someone accuse you of having a backdoor just because you haven't specifically said you don't have a backdoor into your system? So... Yeah, so you've got transparency, you know, what kind of what kind of lo- local laws have you got? No backdoors, stronger order requirements, 
notify the exporter of changes in the law. Um, and then probably the most famous one is the canary clause. Yeah. Well, so well, the cana- I mean, it's just such an odd term to use for a clause. Well, yeah. So it's to do with, well, canaries down mines. But, yeah. Um, so the way that works is um, normally when the uh, uh, the CIA or an intelligence agency, are, I mean, not that I have any particular experience, I'm told, normally when they ask for data from the company, that company can't then disclose the fact they've had a request. Yeah. So you can't do that. But So the canary clause says, it says, uh, you proposes that every day you send uh, to your customers a uh, email saying um, there have been no requests there's been no requests uh, and the day you do get a request you don't send it out that's why (laughs) so you haven't actually told them but they know because you haven't told them yeah I'm too pragmatic for that to be anything that I can see people doing in the short term so Okay, so those are the contractual measures. And then we're back to our organisational measures. So we're on that, I feel as though I'm on a snakes and ladder board. So, you know, technical measures, we go up, we think we've got a solution, then we go back down again because it doesn't quite work in every circumstance. Contractual measures, up we go, the snake and ladder board again, and then down we come when, we, you know, there's a canary clause that has to be put in place and businesses are thinking, why? Um, so organisational measures. Now, some of these are pretty familiar, you know, they're already circulating around, um, you know, part of standard governance uh, that companies put in place. ISO 27001, they talk a lot about this kind of stuff. So, you know, standards and best practices. They're nothing, they're not, sh- nothing to do with SHREMS in my view. They're just standard good data protection governance that you'd have in place. The one uh, difference is... That's, and I know some of the bigger companies like Microsoft and Google do that as they do post on their website the number of requests they've had in the past 12 months, that kind of thing. A subject access request, you mean? Yeah, access requests. Well, yeah. we're now using access request both to mean a data subject access request and a CIA access request. It's get very confusing very quickly. But yeah, public authorities and, and so on. Um, interesting, SHREMS was... In, in a sense, it's not specifically about public authorities or intelligence access. I mean, that that happened to be what happened in that particular in that particular case because it's all about the U.S. and the U.S. Uh, intelligence agencies how they operate. But the more fundamental bit about Schrems was about equivalence, and the failure to be equivalent could come from the intelligence ag- behavior intelligence agencies, but it could come from some other area, and that seems to have been a bit lost, I think, in 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 the, what the EDPB says. So, okay, so that's the recommended safeguards. Then we've got the revision of the standard contractual clauses. So as we've just said earlier, um, the European Commission closed the consultation period uh, sometime in December. And there have been some comments, some joint comments, Mark, haven't there, from the European Data Protection Board and the European Data Protection Board. Yeah, should we talk just quickly about the new SECs? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the the European Commission brought out the, we've got two sets of old SECs and has brought out a new set of SECs. And um, they address some of the... um, gaps are the previous ones so they've got basically it's a modular thing it's all in one use the bits you need 
uh, structure. So you now have four different kind of data export things going on. Controller to controller, that's number one. Two, con uh, controller to processor, that's number two. Three is processor to processor. Yeah. And the fourth is processor to controller. In some situations, the controller sits outside the European Union, the EA, and the control and the processor sits inside. And that was never and because of the way GDPR is drafted, that counts as an export. But there's never any clauses to cover that, and so that's now addressed uh, in the new standard contractual clauses. So they've, they've increased the applicability and made it clearer. Yes. On that one. The, the other thing to bear in mind, of course, is that the requirement of the SECs is slightly reduced now compared to pre-GDPR because GDPR now is now extraterritorial as a data protection wasn't before GDPR, by which I mean, if you look at the scope, Article 3.2, if you are, if I remember correctly, if you are outside the EEA, but you are targeting people in the EEA, or if you're outside the EEA, but you're creating profile, you're profiling people in the EEA, then you're automatically covered by the GDPR, even if you're outside the EEA or the EU. So the, in the old world, uh, the GDPR was only within the EU, EU. Now it's broader anyway. So it, for, for some activities, it's reached outside the EU. Um, and now on top of that, we'll have the more extended um uh, clauses which we just mentioned so yeah it was interesting because um field fisher and one of their lawyers called phil lee did a really great summary of these revised uh, sccs as they currently stand obviously they may still be um tink uh, tinkered with and finalized when the european commission give its judgment but they've got this great article called the good the bad the bad and the ugly and he basically you know not neatly summarizes the, the good the good bits and, and some of the bad bits and the who some of the ugly bits where you know the burden on both sides actually is, is increased again yeah and it's you know it's a good article and worth everybody looking at are you going to put it in your in the show notes yeah Karen? i'll definitely put a link to it in my show notes so um Thank, thank you, Phil. If he, if he ever listens to this, thank you for uh, pulling it I'm together. I'm sure he follows very closely. Yeah, I'm sure he does. He gets all his best <laughs> ideas. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so the revision of the SECs, we're going to have to wait and see what the final revision is, and um, perhaps we can do a future um, episode on what those final uh, clauses are, are going to contain. Um, so I guess, where does that leave us? Well, you know, what about solutions for businesses? We've got it, it, all the discussion we've had is us considering what we need to do if we are, are in the EU and exporting data out of the EU. However, of course, there's also the scenario where with Brexit now that will that view be the same from the UK's standpoint? Um, how will it treat data exports? Once um, we get a decision from the the European Commission on on UK adequacy, we don't know, do we? No. Well, all we do all we do know at the moment is the privacy shield still stands between uh, the UK and the US. We are at least till middle of the year adequate uh, as far as the European Commission is concerned, so people yeah. can still send data to the UK without needing SECs. 
um, and the, re the, e I was about to say the rest of the EU, the EU is, as far as the UK is concerned, adequate. So you can send data from the European, from the UK to European Union through EEA without SECs, and that will not, I presume, not change uh, whatever happens in relation to the adequacy decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we need to just wait and see what um, the European Commission says. Now, if they deem the UK not to be adequate, then, you know, we're in the same boat as the US in, in that sense, aren't we? Uh, absolutely. Uh, including the ability of our security services to go and demand data from organisations in the UK. Absolutely. And if the UK, at that point, if we're not adequate, anyone exporting uh, EU, EU data from the EU to us will need to put SECs in place with the uh, UK company they're exporting to. Uh, and if the UK is exporting to data to, well, and this is the case now, to, I don't know, a third country like Peru, uh, we will have to, you will need to put SECs in place. But those will, at least for the time being, be the existing SECs, not the new ones. Yeah, because yeah, so that, that will be the, the interesting decision, won't it? Well, and okay, so there's, then there's a decision as to, is the ICO going to recommend that the UK then adopts the new SECs as will have done the rest of Europe. And who knows? Who knows? But I guess in that scenario, if they didn't, you know, you could have a scenario where exports are um, governed under one set of uh, standard contractual clauses and imports of data under another. Yes. Which is even more confusing for businesses. <laughs> so. It would be very confusing, but I think, you know, I mean, it gets to the point where it's so confusing and complex that businesses stop doing it. Well, I think I think there's there's a lot of this stuff in my view, which is so theoretical that, particularly from you know small medium sized enterprises, um, you know people are going to have to ignore it just to get on with their business. Yeah, I mean. As soon as people start using words like flawlessly implemented, you kind of my eyes are on the back of my back of my head. Um, if you look at the, uh, the, at the the proposed SECs, some of it is just kind of you know bef you know if there's a controller, a processor, and a subprocessor, there's kind of implication that the subprocessors should be reporting directly to the controller, and you kind of think, well, yeah, how's that going to work? I know, I know, it's they have no contract necessarily with the controller not a direct contract anyway yeah the, the whole data supply chain you know supply chains are complex enough as it is but this this has the potential to make it even more complicated so so what can businesses do well um so i guess what we've been outlining today is you know there are safeguards that have been issued by the edpb and you know, businesses can go and look at those safeguards and choose which ones they can apply. Um, they can also do the same with the revised standard contractual clauses when they come. Um, you know, there's technology that could be used, um, encryption, pseudonymization technology, which actually is quite a good thing to do anyway. And there are other privacy technology tools out there, Mark. We were talking uh, about it earlier, weren't we? You know, You've got big companies like OneTrust and Nimity, et cetera, out there. They've got, they've got solutions to make the process of um, identifying what you need to do for your transfers 
more easily. And I looked at another one the other day, a company called Proteus Cyber, and they've got, you know, a, um, a similar solution. It's um, actually not too expensive. So it's a, a bit of an easier purchase for small and medium sized organizations. And their, their solution also helps smooth the process, but doesn't necessarily give any of the answers. You know, the companies have still got to do the, the, the legwork in terms of, you know, where's my data going, which country, what, you know, the, the lawful assessment, asking the processors in that country, uh, then working out which measures they need to put in place, then documenting, updating their contracts, sending them out, getting them signed, uh, and then re rinse, repeat, review sort of thing. So um, it is, you know, it is quite a lot of work. So technology helps, you know, you can pseudonymize, encrypt, all that stuff, and that and minimize, and you should have, people should be doing that anyway, you know, as we know. The really safe option is if the European Union, don't send the data outside the European Union. Yeah. It is. Right, that's the, yeah. that's the app. So if, if, you can't, if you can't make up your mind between, you know, doing it with an American company or a European company, the safe, safest option, particularly given that Schrems is not a, not a problem that's been really resolved yet, is just to stick, keep in the European Union. Yeah, if, if, if there's a choice. If there's, if there's a choice. Yeah. As we know, the US big tech has definitely got... Uh, a bit more than first mover advantage. I think it's moved on to monopolistic uh, qualities. So, uh, yeah, plenty of companies uh, scrambling to catch up. Okay, so I think that brings us to the end of our podcast today. Mark, what do you think? Have you got any other comments you'd like to say? No, I think the um, what we said earlier is uh, hide in the herd is probably still the best thing to do. But hide in the herd and, you know, see how much technology can help you help you is probably the best answer yeah that makes very good practical sense to me too so mark thank you once again for coming on the show it's great as always to chat with you it's always illuminating and a bit of fun as well um and so to, to my listeners thanks again for listening i hope you enjoyed it please do get in touch with any comments or if you want to appear on the show yourselves and um yeah speak to you again soon take care stay safe Bye for now.